Welcome to the Weekend Must Watch on Intercut, the weekly show going through the movies, TV, and entertainment that people just can't cut away from. This week in movies, we have an abundance of things from the Marvels, which I think like the least people went to go see in theaters, The Curse, which I think more people should see at home, Albert Brooks, which was a pick from Zach last minute. He's like, dude, you need to catch this. And luckily, it was probably one of the best things that we caught this uh, weekend, as well as Dream Scenario that's getting a very limited release as it rolls out. And also some really big news when it comes to either studios trolling or studios merging or studios just not knowing what they're doing, which tends to be a weekly occurrence. I'm your co-host Arturo Surita and joining me to start this team where we may have an excellent after credits afterwards, ooh, it's ooh, Zachary Shevich. Hey, what's going on, man? Yeah, I, you mentioned we got a lot of news to cover. You know, we usually like to drop in like one or two big items if they are, you know, industry shattering kind of things that we can talk about. Yes, but it felt like there's a lot of stuff happening and it's it goes beyond even just all the strike news that uh has happened since the last time we live streamed which is so, big enough yeah. right like that alone should have been enough to to have a whole discussion for it but uh feels Zach's like a whole news. breakdown Right, <laughs> that's the old stuff. We're back to work now. It's Monday, uh, but Zach's got a whole breakdown for that. He's gonna be guiding us through all that movie news for that week. But we do have what is considered. I think this is it, Zach. Now Marvel is dying. Now is the fatigue that is on the horizon when it comes to the newest Marvel movie. I don't remember how you felt about the first one because I couldn't even remember what I felt about the first one. I had to go back and see my old LME video on uh, Captain Marvel, the movie that was sandwiched in between Infinity War, uh, I think it was also Ant-Man, but right before Endgame, literally a month before the biggest movie of all time comes out, they're like, oh, by the way, uh, this is the biggest superhero out there and she's going to be the one who helps fight Thanos. That movie, the first one, made a billion dollars at the box office. Billy. People were torn by it. She had an iconic... (laughs) Uh, press run that went along with that. You and I, however, are really big fans of Brie Larson, I would say. Yeah. Date back to uh, Short Term 12 and especially Room. Of course, that Oscar to win. Yeah. That when it comes to Short Term 12, you got a dude who directed Short Term 12, something we covered on Intercut when we were covering Shang-Chi. He's going to be doing the Kang Dynasty. He's worked with her in Just Mercy, Short Term 12. So there's a lot brewing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe when it comes to a director who's already had that one-on-one relationship Um with Brie Larson, I also was hearing that they had to come to this guy the entire time when they were filming uh, to get any notes and everything else. So hmm. Dustin's got like he's got it in the bag when it comes to it. This, yeah, I mean this he's because he's tapped to do the next Avengers all? movie, right? Like he's the next yeah. next Russos or whatever. He's the one taking over. Does this movie get you excited for that in any way, shape, or form? Uh, not really at all. I didn't have a terrible time with this movie, and in fact, like mm. I, you know, I thought. The first Captain Marvel movie was like, okay, but definitely not memorable in any way. I think this is an improvement on it in some ways, uh, largely because of how charismatic uh, the cast is. Most notably, uh, Aman Vilani in the role of Kamala Khan just really pops off the screen. Like there's just something really contagious about her enthusiasm throughout the film. Uh, And you know, I, I thought her, especially opposite Brie and opposite Tiona Paris, made for a pretty fun time. The thing with these Marvel movies is that I think you kind of get them in two different flavors. You either get like really uh, portentous and and mournful and uh, self-serious and elongated, or you get kind of brisk and breezy and maybe a little bit underwritten. And 
you know, the best ones are the ones that are probably like well done and packed with stuff. But I would take a breezy time with a Marvel movie any day of the week over something that is like reaching for reaching for gravity and depth that it simply is not capable of. So for me, I I think this is actually like maybe my third favorite Marvel film since Endgame. Since Endgame? Well, that's the thing, right? Because we're always saying like there's Endgame and then there's another movie that comes out and it's the worst of the worst. And then another movie comes out and we forget like, oh yeah, this was actually pretty good. And the next one comes out and we're like, they haven't had a good movie at all. This is the worst thing. It's over. But the last one would have been like Guardians. Right. I really like Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Um, What else did we have? Uh, Multiverse of Madness is the other one that I would put up in that tier. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's like a teeter-totter between the two of them. I do agree with you. I think you and I can go into a movie and realize what the movie is trying to be. Right. And then obviously put aside the expectations of what's to come when when it's the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm happy that we finally have someone who actually cared to be there. I agree with you. Kamala being in the movie felt like the first time that I went to see one of these movies and someone cared to be there on screen. I felt like Mm -hmm. I haven't had fans at these movies who also cared. I felt like we were all there to do homework week after week. Her enthusiasm oozed off the screen. Uh, When it came to Carol, I think that they changed her character a lot to have... um, a completely different attitude than what they had in the first movie because I went back to rewatch that first movie and I think it's a lot more confusing than people um, anticipated it to be because I know people have their vendettas against the movie, how it built up, whatever. whatever. That is a movie about the U.S. Air Force. <laughs> it's a damn near ad for that. <laughs> and then it's also a movie about like refugees and I think the directors and what Kevin Feige were going for were two completely opposite different things and that's why the movie's such a mess. This movie is then trying to fix that but it, like, it half-assed the script. This is yeah. considered to be the um, shortest Marvel movie, which I don't know if you felt that. Hmm. I think this even includes the after credits. Uh, she is the youngest director, and it is an only an hour 45, which I think beats the hour 52 from a couple of the other uh, outings that they've had. I mean, it definitely I beats feel- the, the two and a half hours that it felt like I was watching Quantumanium for. Quantumania is still going on in the background, but yeah. I think that this is a movie where they they, they chopped it a, a lot. You know, we covered the Variety article last week and how there was a lot of baggage that came out in terms of the studio test screening this for the first time with a public audience, which had never been done in the past. The idea that they had, the they kind of threw the director under the bus saying that she moved on to the next project, not realizing, mm-hmm. you know, with COVID and everything, it got delayed a year and a half. She had to go work on something else. And... I think you kind of see that in the editing. I think you see that in the story because you have a villain here who is kind of using um, Captain Marvel, our main one, Carol, as the bad guy. Yeah. And then you never really feel that. Like, there are moments where Kamala is so happy to meet her hero, and then she kind of looks at her like, wait, are you the hero that I thought you could be? And, like, I don't want to do the work for a movie that has those inklings there, but that's not what they delivered because they wanted to stop right. at a planet where they were singing like dance theater kids, bro. I don't know what this movie was doing at some points, and it got a little annoying. Yeah, it it picks up plot threads and ideas and then puts them down just like it, without any kind of ceremony to it. it I think it's so... Uh, anticlimactic with the way it will suddenly shift into a new mm-hmm. phase of its story or move into a new planet or something like that. You mentioned they show up at the, this planet where everybody sings. They don't communicate uh, with dialogue. They have to sing to communicate. Nah. But then as soon as that stops being convenient for them, they're like, oh, wait, no, but this guy actually talks. You know, <laughs> they, they don't, <laughs> they, they don't like 
uh, develop a lot. And it, it really does feel like it's most notable when it comes to the villain. Because I thought, like, Zawe Ashton was, like, fine in this role. And there's an interesting idea there with, uh, you know, Captain Marvel as this figure who, it, while she's a hero to so many, she's the person who brought all these awful things to her planet. The, they could have made something there. But yes. I, either it's all left on the editing room floor or they never developed it in the first place. Like, she gets so short-shafted for screen time, for character development. She's kind of just there. Yeah, and and I agree. Like, this is a, a, a perspective that would have been really interesting, but do you think they were scared that if they made Captain Marvel the villain after, again, that press run from the first movie, they'd be like, no, people are going to dive too much into this. <laughs> I think that would have been cool. That's an mm-hmm. interesting thing to see your hero, you know, Kamala looking at her and being very disappointed on, on, totally. on how she handled things. You know, it also ties in with why she wasn't there for Monica. I don't know. I, I feel like there's just remnants of a of a decent-ish story here. But again, you're combining two Marvel series on streaming, the follow-up to what's supposed to be the biggest Avenger who's taken over for Cap, and then you're stuffing it in the shortest movie that they've released. I don't know. Um, I will also say, I just wanted to say, did did you feel like everybody's making a whole big deal of like, oh, you have to watch two shows and movie to get into this. I didn't watch Miss Marvel and I felt perfectly fine. Like, it's not like the lore matters that much. Also, don't they give you a previously on? They damn near just flash back yeah. in ten seconds. She, what she wears the like was a. About. She wears like a flashback m- machine in order to go back through her memories for all the people who weren't there for the first movie. And they just scrub it. Now yeah. I have two questions for you on that one. One, shoot, um, is it? How do you feel that this like six episodes, ten episodes, and you can get everything in ten seconds? <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a Kevin Feige problem to me. Maybe oh. they should be rethink how they approach these shows if they could be summarized so quickly. That's pretty bad. But two, dude, can you break down how that even works when somebody else worked on a project and then you're taking their entire movie series and then putting it in theaters, but you were for streaming? How does that even work with royalties? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, that that gets into a whole other area that I don't think the writer's strike even is ready to touch, right? right? <laughs> like, archival footage. I mean, may, maybe the answer is that, like, n- we have to look to they what Neo DaCosta said, and the real author of all these movies is not their Ka- directors, yeah. but Kevin Feige. That's bad, bro. Because that yeah. was what I was thinking the moment. They hit us with, a, like, a third one. I'm like, oh, I really did not need to recap a single thing. All. They yeah. just got it up there. Um, Zach, can you explain to me? what the premise of the movie is when it comes to their shifting powers in layman's terms. <laughs> they, they, they sometimes when they do things, they switch places, <laughs> but also sometimes they don't. And it doesn't really ever get fully like rationalized or, you know, cause I think it's actually an interesting bit, the whole switching places. Yeah. And there's, there's moments in that first fight scene that feel kind of surprising and, and dynamic and then they kind of just don't do anything with it. Then they're like, all oh, right, we figured it out, kind of. I did it, like the training montage. They're like yeah. you know, building up as a team and they realize like, you know, if we are going to be swapping, we just got to figure it out. They figured it the out before the writers. Stuff. Yeah, like you said, it's, it's when their powers are used, but maybe sometimes every other time their powers are used. I mean, part <sighs> of the problem with that is also that like these are three heroes whose powers are like so hard to define anyway, right? Like it's not Iron Man who has a, you know, yeah. big iron suit or Spider-Man who can shoot webs. It's they They just shoot beams of light or something and one of them can be invisible sometimes 
Yeah, they're they're ladymajigs. Um, look, overall, I, I'm happy she was in the movie because she added a lot of levity to it. I know some people have been saying they don't like her pushback. It reminds me a lot of when um, uh, Spider-Man was very excited to meet Tony Stark, and he kept that up for like three movies until he vanished into dust. Uh, I like the energy she brought into it. Uh, there were a couple of after credits. One I thought was interesting because Alina swore that that was an after credit. So I was like, no, honey, that, that, that was the ending of the movie. She's like, no, that was an after credit. I'm like, no, I think they knew not to make it an after credit because people were going to leave. Um, the first one has her. Without getting into too much spoilers, did you like that? Do you like what it alludes to? The first after credits scene? I mean, I... It, to me, it's backwards looking in a way that I don't know if it appeals to me, right? There are people for whom that's a really exciting moment, but I'm not mining through the Marvel lore like that, right? She is quoting. We're talking about the one where, where uh, Kamala goes to visit somebody, right? Oh, 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 that, no, that's a yeah. pre-credits, right? I thought you meant... That's what uh, I'm saying. That's what, like, I feel okay. like that's an after credit scene that they made the yeah, ending of the movie. Yeah, it's an after credits that they just turned into an ending. You're right, you're right. <laughs> yeah, they're like, because we don't, we don't think people are going to stay throughout. Uh, she is quoting things in there from an old Avengers movie that doesn't exist in this universe. So how would she be quoting a Marvel movie? They, they kind of ride a really weird line with her fandom anyway in that, like, she kind of feels like she exists in our world, but she is in theirs. I, I, I don't I don't know. Um, but, yeah, that's like a one. You didn't like it? I mean, it's fine. I'm just not, like, excited by it the way that a lot of people get excited for, okay, now now these characters are going to have, have it. I mean, like, show, show me a movie that looks like it's an actually completed movie and not something that has been chopped down to an hour 45 in post. The character that pops out, as excited as I was to see them, I hate that they now did this character with, like, full CGI. That too. Now, that, it just right? looks uncanny. Yeah. It looked terrible. It looked like I was yeah. watching the, a camera recording while I was already in the theater watching it on the big screen. But now I understand why the homie got a, a second uh, a second uh, reboot to his show, though. <laughs> now I understand it. I, I'm really excited for what that uh, After Credits has because I've been waiting for a duel, a versus in the Marvel Cinematic Universe ever since I covered this in the A to Z show. It has been one of my most anticipated things. And uh, the Kamala series kind of hints at it. We kind of had hints of it at uh, in the Doctor Strange movie. But uh, when we discussed this in our in our uh, variety breakdown about like all the, the stuff that's happening with Marvel, we had mentioned like you you, you think it's getting worse. And to me, it's like, I just think it's at a law. I feel like right. he's he's coasting on all of these mid type of movies because he knows that the moment he comes in with the Fantastic Four, the moment he comes in with the X-Men, the moment he comes in with whatever the Secret Invasion thing is really, the Secret Wars thing is really going to be, he's going to be like, yeah, of course you are all going to come back. He's almost like using the, the fan base that he can make any of these movies, no matter how good they are, because eventually the good story will come in. He's He's just waiting for that. So you're not so worried about the state of Marvel because uh, the box office returns were were not so pleasant for uh, the latest film. It's abysmal. It, the latest superhero it's movie. It it's even lower than what people were panicking about for the Flash making only forty seven million this weekend off of an over two hundred million dollar budget. Uh, Damn. I mean, you know, obviously, like, it's still more money than, like, Killers of the Flower Moon made at the box office, but we're talking Marvel. We're talking the most recognizable cinematic franchise out there, one that has not dipped this blow ever. One, you don't think that they, like, barred it a little bit? I'm trying to collect clips for the LME. They have, like, one scene out. That never happens. 
Mm-hmm. I thought the trailers were terrible. I didn't think they pushed this marketing out there the way that they could have. And they spent yeah. all of the rest of the promotion on the the, the Las Vegas sphere. For what? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's right. part of the struggle when there's an actor strike going on and you can't have Brie Larson, sure. Tana Paris, and uh, Mani Valani out there, you know, promoting your movie. But at Imani the same should, yeah. time... I, I can't imagine that them doing, you know, a wired autocomplete is going to make this movie that much more money. <laughs> Considering that her last wired autocomplete created memes that were used against her, probably not. It's kind of yeah. like trolls. <laughs> All we kept thinking of the moment that the strike was over, it was trolls and Universal going like, please, 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 we can't have Justin Timberlake out there. <laughs> so they're probably the ones who are the most distraught from this. I think at least having Miss Marvel out there would have helped it. You would have been able to see her excitement. I think that would have totally. gotten at least more of a younger crowd there. Look. I know that there's a pushback with these movies getting very expensive, and I don't believe they should be expensive. We had brought this up when you had mentioned how the Blade movie uh, was going to get its like budget cut down, and we're like, sure, but why is that the movie that's going to get its budget cut down? Yeah. 47 mil for any other movie is really good. But like you said, for Marvel movies, they have a standard. And I'm not worried about it because they've had lowers before. This is just the lowest. All that shows mm-hmm. to me is that eventually there will be a higher one. This could be the lowest that they have, but eventually something is going to top Endgame. Uh, I'm, that's a good segue into my next question, because over the week, I put a question on the Intercut Twitter, uh, and I was curious whether or not people think that Marvel will cross a specific milestone, because the four highest grossing Marvel movies, that is the first Avengers film, No Way Home, Infinity War, and Endgame, all made over $1.5 billion globally. Art, do you think that another MCU movie will pass 1.5 at the global box office in the next five years? Because we're, we're yeah, close dude, to 50-50. You think on, so? Come on, bro. Yeah. What do you mean? You said, so you said Avengers. And then Spider-Man No Way Home. Infinity War. Endgame. Those have about five years in between them. Yeah. That, we have Fantastic Four. You think in, in Fantastic Four is the next one that is a true threat for that? Keep in mind, not, even Black Panther didn't here. cross 1.5. Which one? Black Panther. One or two? Both. Neither. Oh, you're saying, oh, wait. Damn, you're telling me that the billion mark is not the billion mark anymore? It's 1.5? This I'm just asking. getting crazy, Zach. I'm just asking. Somebody's <laughs> got to ask the questions. <laughs> oh, okay, 1.5. Damn, that's bogus. Okay, I do think it's going to cross a bill. Yeah, yeah, because they've also struggled to cross a bill recently. Even Multiverse of Madness didn't get there. Multiverse didn't? I thought it did. I don't think it did. Okay, but I also believe that a big part of Multiverse was the fact that they had a cameo that is fantastic for adjacent. So if it was riding off of that, and you and I kept our eyes on that, like we were waiting to use that for anything, and they never released a clip of that man. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot riding on Fantastic Four. I think uh, the discussions that we had about Doctor Doom being a possible pivot, I think they'll get there eventually. They got to finish up the Kang stuff. I do think that uh, Doctor Doom villain will get people in seats, dude. Um, mm-hmm. And then also, I think once you start bringing in the X-Men more and more, that that's going to be massive. You, you don't have faith in a Deadpool? Deadpool 3? <laughs> Wolverine? 
I don't know if I have faith to get it that high, although like it's certainly going to threaten it. Uh, the weird thing is, though, even though I voted no personally to that first question, I put up a second question about uh, the $2 billion mark because only Infinity War and Endgame have both crossed that $2 billion mark. Uh, the only other movies in existence to cross that are Avatar 1 and 2, Titanic, and The Force Awakens. Mm. So I asked people whether or not they think a Marvel movie will cross that mark again in the next 10 years. Weirdly, I have more confidence in that. Like, they, I think that at some point they will build the excitement and the moment, momentum up again for some huge team up. I don't know if that's going to happen in the next five years, given all of the like duck, deck shuffling that they're going to have to do. Given yeah. the, the the lack of interest in the current leaders of their MCU, in Young Avengers, but, you're not excited for. I I don't know if it, if like this cast of the Avengers is going to get there, but like the Avengers plus the X Men plus the Fantastic Four, that kind of movie that they will probably need more than five years to put together. Mm-hmm. I, I think that could be huge. I want. Iron Man, Tom Cruise to come in in a real suit, like we've been saying, and I think that's when we'll cross the, the, the billion dollar. For uh, sure. Do you recommend people leave the house for this? Should they stay at home? I mean, I think you can stay at home for it. I don't Disney think it's like... It. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it decently, but I also didn't feel like particularly motivated to like talk about how much I loved it or like I can't really remember a whole lot about it other than... Uh, Sam Jackson going, oh, cool, it's Carol. Like, that was funny. But uh, a lot of flurkins and a lot of just, like, try-hardness to it. I I did, like, I really didn't have a bad time with it. I just don't think it's something that you have to rush out and see, especially when uh, you can just watch Kamala Khan on Disney Plus anyway. Agreed. The next one that you could stay at home for that I think we both would give a recommendation for it. Zach had the chance to catch this over at uh, New York Film Festival. He got yes. to be in a theater for this. And he yes. saw the first three Alice Tully Hall. Uh, now he's got all of it. And my first take on this is it is exactly what I wanted it to be. You've seen more episodes than me. So mm-hmm. so hype the people up on what should they what they should well, expect. Well, I want to hear what you thought about episode one because that's the only episode that's out. So a lot of people have had the mm-hmm. chance to see it. And I think it's a really interesting episode too. I was glad to get the chance to revisit it and uh, do it when, in a place where I feel a little bit more like I knew what I was getting into. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I was telling you before we started recording, just getting to experience this the way that I did, uh, watching three in a row of what I would not consider like the most bingeable show even though I really enjoy it because of how like dry and uncomfortable it gets. Um, You take a break in between. Yeah, it's nice to sort of like process it and think about it because there's, it's stuffed full of ideas and interesting themes that it continues to dive in throughout the show. Uh, But what what struck you about episode one? I knew he had the dog in him. That's what I thought. (laughs) This man is insane in this show. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Emma's still going to act circles around him. But the idea <laughs> that you have this couple who specifically is using this area to kind of gentrify it, make money in a green, environmental friendly type of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then realizing that there's some real estate baggage that also comes with this girl right here. Mm-hmm. I found it to be a fascinating look at those like, uh, what did they say that they weren't uh, the home home TV? HGTV? HGTV. Yeah, yeah. They're like we're not like that. We're like a, a flip on that. But then they're working with the scummiest version possible. I like, I like when shows almost feel like they're playing 
versions of themselves. Like mm-hmm. Emma is a good-hearted person <laughs> and is maybe dealing with things that she shouldn't be. This man, I just think, I, I truly, some Benny? people were surprised. No, well, I'll get to Benny for sure. Oh, okay. But, but, Nathan. but for um, Nathan, people were like, I didn't know that he could act like that. How do you think he got those Nathan for you stuff down? Like, I'm realizing that people are more, more surprised about the idea they've built up for him in his head, mm-hmm. uh, in their heads, than like what this guy is. I think uh, we, you and I noticed that in the rehearsal. Mm-hmm. If you've seen enough Nathan for you, hell, if you've seen him just do Q and A's, this guy is he, crazy. He's one of the most like committed to the bit performers that we Boom. have. Even if you've just seen like videos of him when he went on, I forget what board, what what band he went on tour with, but he would like stand on stage with a guitar and play on his cell phone while they were playing songs, just unspoken. Like he he's just a guy who fully dives into these strange ideas in ways that you have to sell the believability of it. And if you've watched any Nathan for you, and if you've watched the rehearsal, you know that he is going to make the scenario believable, even if it is ridiculous. So exactly uh, like, it's really exciting to see him acting in this way, which is maybe a little bit unusual for like how we're used to getting him, but I don't think he's acting though, right? Exactly. I don't think it should come as a surprise if you've seen how good he is in like the the finding uh, finding Francis Nathan for you special or the mm-hmm. end of the rehearsal. Like all he's doing so much make believe in those shows. Um, it's cool here though because they're weaponizing it in a very specific way. Uh, he and Emma Stone play this couple who are uh, selling their HGTV show, a kind of like. Uh, a uh, house flipping slash ph- uh, philanthropy show they're calling Flipanthropy, which is a hilarious title that I really struggle to say out loud. Um, but it's it's ultimately like examining the limits the limits of like uh, altruistic white people, right? Like they they mm-hmm. are positioning themselves as these really uh, well meaning. Uh, developers who are trying to bring good uh, things to this community. They're opening stores and they're providing jobs and they're renovating homes. But ultimately, this is a this is an act of uh, of of uh, investing into their future. Right? They are they are trying mm-hmm. to do a capitalistic practice and develop these homes and sell these homes and uh, just the way in which they navigate the tension of trying to portray themselves as these well-meaning, uh, good job, good, uh, good doer people, but they also have a bottom line and they're kind of, uh, uh, egotistical about the way they present themselves <laughs> and they want to come across as a certain thing. It, it just gets into very dryly uncomfortable, but deeply hilarious areas. When you were sitting in Tully Hall, how many of these type of people were sitting around you? <laughs> I mean, predominantly that type of people, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh-huh. You know, it was a very Brooklyn crowded uh, between Eric Andre doing uh, poppers uh-huh. and Nathan uh, Nathan Fielder sitting in the crowd, too. I don't know. I, it's funny because, like, I wonder, I wonder how much uh, people are going to, like, see that aspect of it versus just the dry, uncomfortable nature of it. I, I don't know. It's it plays really very it plays into it in really fascinating ways as it progresses. So yeah. I, I'm excited to discuss this show more with you. Maybe we can uh, check in as the season develops. Did you see the Joe Jonas bit on him when they were at a restaurant? I, 
<laughs> oh, with the with the mayonnaise, yeah, <laughs> with the mayonnaise. He, got he him sent a him over some mayonnaise instead of sending over a drink. A thing of mayo. Uh, it's so good. He's never off. That's the thing. Yeah. He's never off. But uh, Safty, I'll end it with mm. him. Um, Sorry, one more thing on on Nathan Fielder. Did you see they did a screening of this, and he had his parents moderating the Q and A? <laughs> no, is it is it out <laughs> recorded? I, I just saw a photo, but I hope somebody took video. Oh damn, that's. That's got to be funny. Have you ever heard him speak? He had because they're on the up. rehearsal, yeah. Oh, damn. Okay. Um, but yeah, Safty. Safty is also probably just playing a version of his producer's self in the background. <laughs> that man was on one as well. There's this one bit in the first episode. Where is it? Can you hear it? Can you hear it? They're just trying to get the audio from the parking lot. And I'm like, yeah. He's also a fascinating character great. because he kind of comes across as this very like dirtbag, grimy guy, but mm-hmm. he also is like the most upfront and honest out of every anybody you see. Right. So you you come into the show feeling like, oh no, this guy's a scumbag, and you yeah. get a, further along, it's like, no, actually, he might be the most decent person among them. He's he's I'd say the most honest. Even yeah. if it's brutally honest. Uh, but again, I haven't seen the other episodes. I just thought it was interesting to see uh, some surprising behind the scenes to how they made Uncut Gems <laughs> and Good Times. <laughs> because yeah. this man was doing anything to get the shots. Um, you said you had a, another clip or, or another question from the chat? Oh, yeah. Uh, Josh in the live stream was asking, is this Nathan Fielder's best project? You know, obviously he came to a lot of people's attention through his Comedy Central show, Nathan For You. Uh, We talked about the rehearsal extensively uh, when that was on HBO last year. Uh, Or was that earlier this year? Time is is blending. What is time? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, between the three, I know you've only seen the one. Are you ready to call this his best project or you still need to see some more curse? Um, Yeah, I can't call it his best project until it wraps. Uh, Nathan for you is just the most extensive that he's had. Do you prefer rehearsal over Nathan for you? I can't remember. Uh, It's hard because I think the rehearsal is like really amazing. But Nathan for you just as like a formula is is pretty yeah. incredible. Like yeah. to turn that into some into like a repeatable thing is mm-hmm. pretty amazing. And, and then, so. and then uh, up it every single time. Like you were mentioning the Finding yeah. Francis episode. It's like come on now. So yeah, I, I'm still sticking with Nathan for you just because of yeah that ran for 30 episodes. So right, I'd probably go with Nathan for you as well. The rehearsals is definitely a close second, but uh, I'm I'm still working through some episodes of the curse. So we'll see. We'll see in the, the end. The fact that it's even up there though, that's that's pretty freaking good. Yeah. Um, Shout out to the cherry tomato boys. <laughs> for sure. Also, has he completely moved on? No longer director? For, he full in acting mode? I don't know, man. I mean, he's he's a co-writer he's and on, on a lot of these, so he's not like completely but abandoning, op- but... He's an Oppenheimer. I, yeah, Killed no, it. he... Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Killed it. He, I keep he loved, he's an Obi-Wan. He seems to love it. Yeah, he seems to love being in front of the camera. I mean, even going back to, uh, what was it called? The Robert Pattinson one? Uh, good time, good time. Yeah, I mean he's he's great in that movie too. So, I don't know. He's a I, woman, licorice pizza. I think he's, I would be, he's done the transition. I would be upset if he didn't want to make movies with Josh anymore. But yeah. I don't know. I can't blame him. It, I, it's the Duplass path, right? Like they they grew into fame as writers, directors, and now all they do is act. Wow. Well, shout out to them. The curse over on Showtime. I think we both give it. Big thumbs up. Highly, highly recommend it. Uh, the next one I'm going to let Zach take it away because he messaged me. He's like, you need to watch this Albert, Albert Brooks Defending Your Life <laughs> uh, documentary that's out on HBO. Uh, I had this on my list, but he made me bump it to the top. Talk about it, dude. 
Yeah, so it's a new profile of the famous uh, comedian, filmmaker, actor, Albert Brooks. Uh, this is directed by his lifelong friend, Rob Reiner. One of the interesting things yeah. that you find out in watching the documentary is they actually uh, went to high school together. So they have known each other for pops. a long time. <laughs> yeah, knew, knew his pops too. Crazy. Uh, the great Carl Reiner. Uh, but, you know, Albert Brooks is like an iconic figure in the world of comedy. He's... Uh, they, he's in a lot of ways the father of the alternative com- comedy scene because he yeah. sort of does these deconstructionist bits and and it's a lot of it is based on you having some sort of expectation for what a comedian's role is. Uh, but he's extended that into lots of different fields. His films are uh, iconic and fantastic and uh, have a huge influence on, on films today and comedy today. And uh, he's even found a lot of... Uh, success just in his different actor roles as an actor and he's he's, uh, often overlooked Hollywood figure so it's really exciting to see this collection which I think really is um, has a focus on the work it's really really puts forward what he made uh, and and takes you through a journey almost linearly from the stand up stu- uh, uh, from the stand up work to the appearances on late night talk shows to his first forays into uh, filmed entertainment to making his more classic movies and it's a pretty great like summary of some of the things that have made him such an icon. Uh, it's mm-hmm. also peppered by lots of talking heads from iconic uh, comedians. Uh, you know, the, the kinds of talking heads that might feel superfluous if they weren't, they didn't feel so uh, so in the lineage of Albert Brooks, right? Like people like Jon Stewart or Conan O'Brien or uh, uh, Larry David and Judd Apatow and, uh, you know, even... Uh, Jonah a Hill, Tiffany Haddish, yeah, a lot of hype is maybe a little bit out of left field. For <laughs> yeah, they came out of nowhere. But I agree yeah. with you. It's like people who he almost like encouraged, who inspired. Right. That without him, you go like, ah, that is where you got your stuff from, and you get to see the origin of their comedy bits. Yeah, and it's cool because uh, aside from just being like the documentarian, the film sort of is built around this conversation between Albert Brooks and Rob Reiner sitting together at a diner going over different moments in his career. And because they have this longstanding relationship, you're hearing it like you're hearing it told to a friend. It's all Mm -hmm. very... uh, very, you know, conversational and very They're finishing each other's stories of how they remember Exactly, exactly. made his dad like almost pee his pants. Yeah, yeah, it's no. just it's just delightful. Like there's, it's a, a documentary that I put on thinking, you know, I'll watch a little bit of this and then I'll get into doing some other stuff. And I kind of just couldn't turn away from it because it's nonstop, like great comedy bit after delightful personal anecdote after a uh, hilarious clip from a movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's the kind of movie that you'll see and probably add like three thing, three or four things to your watch list immediately after. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was a, a really good look back because, look, to me, <laughs> I hear my man's voice and you got to understand the first thing I heard of it, he's Merlin in Finding Nemo. <laughs> so, For a lot of us. See, yeah, realizing him as an actor growing up was one thing and then seeing some of his specials because I would see some of them on the documentary and I was just like, ah, that, I remember that one. I remember the dog one. 
uh, when he's walking the dog as, as like the mime, but then breaking down a lot of the other things, uh, especially when the, the, the talking heads like Conan would say, it's the way that he does this that led me to do this. And I'm like, dude, that explains so much of what I like about Conan. And this right. is the originator right here. Exactly. Uh, no, I, I find that fascinating. Um, there's another one on HBO, the George Carlin's American Dream. Uh, yeah. Th- th- that would be a good double one. feature. Um, oh, he did, right? That yeah. that would be a good double feature in terms of uh, two movies that really dissect a um, a, a comedian Iconic, and yeah. yeah and really looks at them um, as an art form and how they grew creatively uh, because I think they both do a really good job at, at showcasing their career paths the the ways that they like you said um, pivoted and did different things and, and just the psyche of what ca- how they came up with their jokes so both of these are really good great recommendation Albert Brooks defending your life over on. The Max? Max, yeah. Max. <laughs> Whatever that is right there. Um, looking at a movie that's about to come out, it's limited. We talked about it over in Toronto when we first got the chance to see it. It is the newest movie from Christopher Borgley. Of course, yeah. everyone's favorite guy from Sick of Myself. A movie <laughs> that Zach and I really liked uh, that premiered, I think, overseas. It, it has like a limited rollout right now, but it is on Showtime which is exactly where the curse is. And mm-hmm. damn, is that not a great double feature? About yeah. A, a, a couple who is doing everything possible to just be the center of attention. And as you look at the poster right there, you can only guess how far they go. They're, they're both pieces of media about people, the crazy things people do to affect how people see them, right? Like Literally. They, they really want to be seen in a certain way. And I have Dream Scenario where he's able to take Nick Cage right after doing the unbearable weight of massive talent, which I think this movie is almost like cousins with, and mm-hmm. create this idea of a boogeyman monster where he's almost like Freddy Krueger in people's, people's dreams in a positive way at first. He's not really doing anything. And mm-hmm. then eventually it becomes uh, a nationwide, almost worldwide thing where people are seeing him everywhere in his dreams and it affects his tenure as a professor. Um, I, I believe y'all have it over in New York right now. We mm-hmm. have like some Alamo screenings I would highly recommend checking out this movie, especially if you can see it in a crowd. I think Unbearable Weight had a very limited run because it was still like kind of in the pandemic stages. Um, but if if you can go to one of those Alamo, Alamo Draft House greetings where they're giving you like uh, the Nick Cage cutout faces, some guy went with a Nick Cage pillow to go with the dreaming scenario theme. Right. I would highly recommend catching this with a crowd because uh, it was one of my favorites out of Toronto. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely hilarious. It's got this sort of uh, Charlie Kaufman-esque energy, too, in the the imaginative nature of it, because, as you mentioned, it's this yes, pl- whole plot about Nicolas Cage showing up in a bunch of people's dreams, and it, they they turn it into this interesting sort of commentary on, like, viral fame, in a way, and the things that happen to unsuspecting people when they're suddenly thrust into the limelight. Uh, and it... It explores it in a lot of fascinating ways. I think uh, particularly the things that this movie has to say about the commodification of uh, viral moments are, mm-hmm. is particularly hilarious. Uh, those are the things that have really stuck with me and resonated with me with this movie. Um, and it's also Cage's performance. I think just how exasperated he is, how he starts just sort of in, in this place of uh, being so unsuspecting and ends up gro- so so much more pathetic for having gone through all of it. Um, it's just a, a really, it, it's a movie that is so surprising in the best ways, 
and it's full of these like incredible, incredible ideas. It maybe loses some steam in the back half, but I enjoyed the whole thing. It's to me going to be one of the most uh, memorable movies of the year for sure. Yeah, I think one of the the main critiques that I would have for it is this idea of it being very close to uh, the same concept that Unbearable Weight had, where they're making him a meme, but they're forgetting what leads to that meme. You know, Nick Cage is a person who, when he's out there and he's doing these crazy performances, it's not just him spazzing out about the bees. There's a lead-up that... that puts you in that character before he does this whole wild and out moment. And a lot of these movies are kind of cutting the buildup to that character that, that yeah. he creates and is just giving you the, the wacky in and out gift, the meme that they want to create. I, I thought Unbearable Way was a hilarious movie, but it was very much guilty of that. Hearing a lot of the interviews, I feel that's the same thing that's happening here, especially when you look at the director and, and Nick Cage. And it's they almost do this one up thing where Nick Cage says that there's this dreaming scene where he's walking and he's going like this. And the director goes, yeah, yeah but I'm the one who told you to smile. And it's like they're just trying to one up each other. And I hear him talk. And the more I hear the director talk, the more I think, yeah, I think this is like a biography for sick of myself <laughs> at that point. But it's able to get into the, the cringiness of human nature. The, yeah. the e even desperation not just sometimes. Yeah. But the idea of like what happens when you do have this world where you can get into people's dreams. The first thing that people are going to want to do is take advantage of that. Yeah. By like having ads and stuff. That, that was like one of my favorite parts of the, of the story when they're able to kind of expand the world in a bit and it feels full. But it doesn't fully get into it. It's not like building the mechanics of it, but the the, the themes of it. How uh, a, a capitalistic world would be like, okay, what else can we get in your dreams if we can exactly. get this guy in there? Let's reverse engineer that. And I thought that was really smart. Yeah. I mean, th there's a lot of really fascinating stuff packed into this crazy idea. Um, but I think mostly, like, it does eventually maybe get a little bit too online in terms of like what it's trying to say about these people. Yeah, um, like some of the references, <laughs> some of the name <laughs> drops. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought it was funny, but it's maybe like a little bit on, on the, the nose. nose, a little cheeky. Yeah. You don't have to call it out. You can just demonstrate it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I don't know. I think ultimately like it's shot beautifully and it's hilarious. Uh, and it, it surprised me. Like it's, it, those are all the things that I'm basically like looking for in a movie. So uh, I, I think it, it's going to align itself nicely in the like weird Nick Cage movie canon and maybe even a little bit better than some of these movies that uh, we're referencing like uh, Willy's Wonderland or Un Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent that are maybe trying a little harder to mm -hmm. get into that canon, you know? We had a question from the live stream. Which would you say is better, Sick of Myself or Dream Scenario? That's that's tough. I kind of want to go dream scenario right now. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, they they feel different, right? Like one is a lot more grounded. One is a lot more fantastical. And I think yeah. just because the the fantastical nature of dream scenario feels so unique, I, I want to select that. But yeah. they're they're both excellent. I feel like I have him pretty even. I think the he's been a very consistent director. I want to say uh, sick of myself. But I would not recommend that to people. I would recommend Dream Scenario before I recommend Sick of Myself, nice. even if I think that's the better one. But uh, yeah, this is out in limited theaters as it's rolling out. Let us know your thoughts on this movie down below. Uh, any other Nick Cage movies that you consider to be an all-time classic? Your favorite Nick Cage moments as well down below in the comments for Dream Scenario. Uh, other than that, Zach, take it away with this new stuff because we now have 
the big meat of this episode, which is, <laughs> let me know. Where do we start here, dude? Yeah, I mean, I think we should start at least with the SAG strikes, which may be over. I think we need to like emphasize the maybe on that, because while the um, the SAG-AFTRA uh, negotiating committee apparently has come to an agreement with uh, the AMPTP to end the actor strike, I don't believe that SAG-AFTRA members have had a chance to vote on it and uh, choose whether or not they agree with some of the things that are uh, have been agreed upon in that deal. I know that there are certain members who are pushing back against the terms uh, re- regulating the use of AI that are in this deal because they really they did not get quite the same uh, deal as the writers got regarding AI. There are uh, there are parts of the deal that include studios have the ability to con- uh, ask actors uh, for payment of use, creation, recreation of their digital replicas. They have to consent to it, uh, which I guess is nice. There's mm-hmm. also the uh, there's also language about residuals and pay as mm-hmm. if the actor was actually on set, which, you know, sounds nice that they have some protections, although like we know studios do their best to work around these rules. And I think it, you know, a lot of people are have genuine concerns about what, uh, a future of AI-enabled movies could mean for the people who are trying to actually make a living in movies. So it'll be interesting to see where this deal ends up, whether or not the vote goes through. Um, I, you know, I don't know if every aspect of the agreement has been published to the public yet. So wow. maybe next week uh, we'll get a deeper look at like the actual terms that have been agreed upon between SAG and AMPTP. But it's something to monitor that even though we're all excited and SAG leadership has said that actors can go back to work, it is not yet at the finish line. Is there a separation between this and movies? Because I feel like I've been hearing a lot of stuff, especially in Chicago when it comes to, you know, the big NBC shows, Chicago Fire and stuff, that they may be going back. Does a tentative agreement kind of uh, give them a leeway? So because I believe SAG leadership has agreed to this new contract, that SAG is acting as if the strike is over. But if the okay. if members, this is the, the writers had a similar deal where once the leadership agreed to it, there was like at midnight, midnight that night yeah. you could go back to work. But the WGA members still had to vote and approve the contract. They did overwhelmingly. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I have a feeling... That, like, unless we start hearing a lot more of this, like, public rejection of the AI terms, that Mm -hmm. it will still get across the line because it's been a really long strike, because there are a lot of actors who are looking forward to getting back out of work, because there are some protections here against AI. But, you know, who knows? These things things can be unpredictable. You saw Timothy uh, Chalamet come out on SNL, and all he could do was (laughs) have his entire monologue just be him uh, talking about... Uh, I was about to say Willy's Wonderland. Um, <laughs> Wonka. Wonka, which I just got my screening invite this morning, so they're ready to push it. Yeah. No, I mean, look, they they uh, signed that, or they uh, came to that agreement, and within 12 hours, I got an email that Brie Larson was showing up to Captain Marvel screenings. Like, they <laughs> want the <laughs> actors crazy. out there. That's crazy. Um, I think one of my favorite ones, and you're going to see them tonight, Zach's got a whole screening with the cast and crew of... Um, the Iron Claw. Claw. When they got those boys on the red carpet, 
and they asked them, do you know the strike's over? Like, they were already working. A24 <laughs> didn't give anyone a break. Yeah. Uh, uh, I guess, you know, we, if we want to see some actors in non-A24 projects again, we better hope that SAG figures out uh, this deal sooner or later. Yeah, but that, that that's good. Hey, now that it's ended, I think for a lot of people, uh, even outside of actors, it's, you know, the whole un- the whole ecosystem that is the writers who aren't just writing for nothing. They're writing for the actors, the crew, the IATSE members, everybody finally being able to get back to it. So that's, that's great. Totally. Uh, should we talk about this Coyote versus Acme news? Sad day, bro. Shout out, shout out our boy 3C. He felt like how I felt. That man puts his energy and his emotions up on screen. That is exactly what I was feeling when it came to hearing about this. And I'll say this. I didn't even know about it. He kept up with it. Mm. I found out and had my heart broken. I was excited and then depressed the same t- at the same time, dude. This is bad. Yeah, so Warner Brothers in a move that uh, they first started in uh, last year with the Batgirl movie and with the Scooby-Doo movie. Disgusting. Uh, they they moved to shelve the upcoming John Cena Coyote versus Acme blend of live action and animated movie uh, in favor of getting a $30 million tax write-off rather than release it to a streamer or in theaters. There's been an update that apparently after a lot of backlash, most notably from filmmakers who were canceling meetings at Warner Brothers, uh, that Warner Brothers is now going to try and market or or sell this movie probably to another studio. Uh, Studios like Paramount and Universal are apparently in the running to pick it up. Uh, But yeah, this is a, a Warner Brothers continuing what has been like a really annoying trend of, of shelving projects in favor of uh, tax write-offs, something that I'm surprised wasn't a bigger focus of some of these um, guild negotiations, but right? yeah, I, yeah, you, you had your heart broken. Are you, are you a little more optimistic now knowing that this project still will see the light of day? I hope it does. And I think, you know, going off of the strikes, you had an entire period of time where they weren't filming anything. I feel like during the strikes, you had a lot of reality shows, you know, that were shelved or, or series that were shelved that they brought out where you're like, where did these come from? Because they didn't have anything. A, a lot of things are made and shelved all the time. When it's something this big, you do hear about it. But I remember when we were, uh, I had sent you that episode of How I Met Your Father, the original take on the spinoff that had, right. um, what's Greta Gerwig? Greta freaking Gerwig. And you can yeah. find that pilot on YouTube. It just disappears. Nobody knows about these things. People work on stuff and they just, they go away. If you've had a drought of no content, to me, they're going to have to pull out that background movie. They're going to have to pull out this movie. There's going to be so much that they have not worked on from what was this, a historic 148 days, even longer for the, or yeah. that was for the writers, right? The third then, longest writer strike ever. I think 108 for, for the actors. You have had yeah. a long period of time. Like that's over three months. That would have been a filming period. If they were fighting against their, their their tactics, I would argue that now that they got their way, hopefully, the studios are also still going to be behind because they plan on filming movies a little bit quicker with AI and who knows what else. They're going to have to pull out stuff like this. I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that it gets picked up because, dude, the behind the scenes, it was... It looks incredible. What it, yeah, what made it real was when they were all tweeting about it and just releasing yeah. how they worked we, on we the should... movie mentioned for ah. people who aren't on Twitter as often as us that a bunch of the craftspeople from the movie began tweeting yeah, out 
yeah, clips or or just photos of their behind the scenes work and all of the stuff that kind of blended cartoon world look with like a real world look. There was a whole preview of the score that was made for the yeah. movie, including a, a chorus doing the Roadrunner meeps. Uh, yeah. Just a bunch of like really fun stuff. And, you know, granted, this is still like, it was this could still be too, bad, dude. but I still want to yeah, see yeah, it. Right. I want to get a chance to see it. <laughs> that is true. It could be horrendous. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I feel like uh, with it having John Cena and also being produced by uh, or was supposed to be produced by James Gunn, they haven't yeah. made something that the, the audiences haven't liked together, especially when it comes to HBO and Warner Brothers. So I, I thought the behind the scenes looked really cool. It's also what, what made it really sad because I'm like, if you guys are releasing this, that means it's like it's really over. Yeah. But, hey. Hopefully it comes out, and hopefully we get to see a lot of the other projects that have been getting shelved left and right as well. But yeah, yeah, sad stuff. I saw but. I saw an interesting idea tweeted out by uh, I think it was Matt Zoller Sites saying that if a company moves to make one to to bury one of their movies as a tax write off, if they're getting money from the American taxpayers, that movie should be publicly available, right? Ooh. Yeah, right? like if, if that's the trade-off you want to make, <laughs> then give me Coyote versus Acme for free. For sure, yeah, yeah. That's what paid for it. That's a good point. We'll get it on our accounts with our next uh, <laughs> tax return. But they they keep doing dumb stuff over at Warner, bro. Yeah, uh, this was not David Zaslov, but HBO president Casey Bloys got into some hot water we didn't get to talk about last week uh, because he used secret Twitter <laughs> accounts to troll uh. TV critics who he disagreed with. Uh, notably, Alan Sepinwall was one of the uh, people who received some of his criticism. And granted, like if you look at the actual tweets that they sent out or the direct messages – they're they're pretty mild criticism. It's like not coming for their necks or anything, but it just is a super embarrassing and unprofessional look to be the president of HBO and yeah. pretending to be like some herbalist from Colorado to mm. argue with the the critic from Rolling Stone. I thought it was ridiculous that his main thing was that he he wanted to undercut them. He's like, get at them, make them feel bad. It's yeah. trolling 101. I got to give it to him. And I know you said it wasn't David, but I think Zaslav just hasn't been caught. I think he was able to find a, <laughs> Well, that's the other thing, right? Do, do, we, do we think that Casey Bloys is the only person doing this? Not Come by a long now. shot. Trust yeah. me, as someone who's had a channel for a while that's gotten plenty of views for big movies, I can tell when a filmmaker, director, or other sorts is pretending to be something else because they're giving you info that nobody else should know. There's a way fans argue. And then there's a way someone who worked on the team argued. It's, yeah, it's a little embarrassing, but I think, you know, even NBA players, what is it? uh, uh, What's his name? Was in Golden State. He's he's with the Nets now. You know what I'm talking about. With Burger account. It's so iconic. Oh, what am I blanking? Uh, Durant had one for a bit. Durant's burger account is the funniest thing. Durant had a whole back and forth with his burger account at one point. Mm -hmm. He was logging in and out and he forgot to do it. That's how, got, that's caught. How got him caught. Yeah. What got this man caught was that he was telling his employees, dude. Like, mm-hmm. this is almost as bad as that wire dude, the FTC dude, who had his like <laughs> group message called a wire fraud. Yep. Ah, man. So the next time, I, I, I wanted to make a video on this as well, a little LMB. I was like, the next time you get a troll in your comments, just know it may be a Warner brother. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, oh. I mean. Uh, I guess it says something if you're getting pres- trolled by the president of a network. Maybe right? you're hitting a nerve. Hey, he he said, your, your "I'll give him this." Are important too. 
I'll give him this. He said that like I've learned to just send DMs. And so like he's he's grown up. He's grown up, oh Casey Boys. Oh my gosh, bro. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, HBO hiring trolls. We'll see what's next. Uh, last week we talked a bit about Disney buying the rest of Comcast's stake in Hulu, and we sort of debated about whether or not Disney was planning to merge Hulu, the the pluses and negatives of uh, merging Disney Plus into Hulu into one app. Apparently, uh, Bob Iger has since come out and said that they will be doing a, a beta test of uh, a, a mixed app. I don't know how much of it is going to be uh, actually discontinuing one app versus the other or just having all titles show up in both apps is something that I've heard about that like you'll click a title in Disney Plus that's a Hulu title and it'll auto open Hulu to play it. Uh, but yeah, they, they're going with your advice and merging it all into one, a, a gigantic, undeniable streaming service for... I wouldn't call it my advice. I agree with a lot of the points you were making. There are negatives to doing this. All I was saying was I looked at the math and this is what it was leading to. The same way Showtime and Paramount are trying to consolidate, I looked at this and I'm like, that's why they're buying it. I I, I knew that this is the way they were going to go. And I was thinking back to what you said about uh, how it's less options for people to have things. This is a, a sick way for them, as convenient as it's going to be to have one, for them to charge more and give you less. Because when yeah. you're charging for two separate ones, you kind of have to give a couple of titles per. But once you combine it, they're going to cut the amount of titles that they were individually giving you, and it's going to be more. It is It is a very sneaky way. It's like when Amazon Prime ups $10 to everybody, and then you do the math, and you're like, damn, out of all of your millions of users, it becomes a budget to the Lord of the Rings series. Ah, we'll see how, how it rolls out. I know they said some people are saying that he was going to do it like next month. Other people say that he was going to completely roll it out for 2024. Our biggest concern here is how it's going to affect content because, uh, I mean, Disney Plus didn't even exist when we started doing Intercut. So these are just movements that we just cover here on Intercut. But the merging happening soon. Let us know your thoughts about it down below. But it also leads well, to this next story, though. Yeah, uh, so apparently we also found out that Disney is no longer planning uh, to license any of their Star Wars, Marvel, or Pixar content uh, to Netflix as they had in the past, uh, but they are in talks to license some other uh, material. Everything you know, I, else, though. Obviously, this... So if you're charting the progression of streaming services, right, there was the Netflix gets rich off of everybody else's content era, that, that started in, uh, the whole streaming boom. Then there was the everybody takes their content back and tries to launch their own streaming service only to realize that there's no profit in it era. And now we're shifting back into the we're going to license some of our stuff because that's a good way to make money. And, you right? know, as much yeah. as we as much as we hate on David Zaslav, that's something that I feel like his tenure at. Uh, at Max has sort mm -hmm. of overseen, and now you're seeing stuff like Insecure and Ballers pop up on Netflix. Uh, Disney is, uh, is going to follow that too. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, you look at a property like Harry Potter, which is like th this gigantic film franchise, and that the rights to it shift between Max and Peacock every like year or 18 months or something like that. And, and mm -hmm. it's a way that it... it, it 
allows there to be more content on a streaming service, but also like a constant flow of things happening. So you're able to license your content out to more people. And also for, for audiences, we don't have to necessarily subscribe to every different studio streaming service. You can just wait. To, yeah. yeah, you can just wait. Eventually it'll pop up on Netflix. On the one that you have, but it's also a smart way to like, if no one's watching Insecure, if no one's watching whatever your show is that you have on HBO or Hulu, putting it over there can get people to go like, okay, this is one season. Dang, there's four more. Uh, Okay, I'm going to finally go try it out. But you can't advertise the people if you're not advertising where the people are. Exactly. And we look at like how much a show like Breaking Bad benefited from its run on Netflix. People swear it's a Netflix show. (laughs) Or you look at a show... Uh, like Manifest that got canceled. I think yes. it was on an NBC yes. and becomes a huge, huge hit for Netflix. And the, the the reluctance to license your shows out to other streamers, I think, mm-hmm. denies the ability for you to m- maybe grow your show. You know, mm-hmm. if you know, you look at a show that's like really popular, but on a lesser network. Like maybe we look at some of the AMC Plus shows, Dark Winds, which really didn't get enough love during yep. its run. If that one was on Netflix, is there not like going to be like that much more uh, excitement around it? And yeah, maybe like you end up blocking or you end up convincing a couple people not to sign up for AMC Plus, but you probably convinced like tenfold more people to actually watch the show in the first place. Yeah, I don't think you're detracting anybody ever from it. All you're doing is putting it on people's radar. They already weren't going to sign up to AMC Plus. They were never going to sign up for that. Here, even if you end up getting two, that's that's even more. But yeah, Uh, we'll see how that rolls out. Um, As well as this rollout over here to wrap up the news, the test of an AI chat box. So you intercuties in the chat will finally be able to talk to other AI intercuties in the chat. Um, this rollout includes a couple of the stuff that we talked about last week where they're going to be doing uh, AI editing. They're going to be doing AI effects, filters, transitions. The one that I'm very curious for, especially after we just covered Dream Scenario, is Dream Screen, where you will be able to type in whatever prompt and videos and images will be made for you through mm-hmm. their uh, AI-generated system so i mean you know sometimes we'll play something here on imdb for like a movie and then the entire live stream gets hit just because we played a couple too many seconds of like a documentary off of netflix well we could just pop that bad boy and be like netflix documentary uh generate and just like <laughs> right? they generate a random story from whatever the next uh murder mystery topic is i guess youtube's gonna be able to create all that content for you um does that make you curious does the ai chat box that lets you ask how many views are on the video, even though you could just look at the views on the video. Any of that yeah. interest you at all? Do you think it's going to affect how we make videos here on Intercut or even with Multiplex? I mean, I would like be surprised if it affects how we do things much. I, I feel like a lot of these AI tools are still sort of in such an early nascent stage that they're not necessarily going to give you the kinds of dynamic answers that uh, you'd be looking for in, in this kind of scenario. I, I don't know how quickly it's going to generate stuff while we're live streaming. It's a, it's a, a lot to to focus on, like, uh, our, what window do we have up and are we saying the right thing and am I going to mm-hmm. transition to the next topic? And then also, what's my AI chatbot doing right now? <laughs> Um, <laughs> is he spamming the chat damn it AI trolls <laughs> I think it's yeah, I mean, a perfect way for the HBO people to get their message across there you go right just spam, spam comments uh, uh, that are positive about HBO shows that'll be a lot yeah. easier for Casey Ploys HBO, yeah, I, mean, I, yeah. I think my, my question that is basically a question that I have for any kind of AI story is like what is it training on you know what what is it learning from 
because uh, you know if you're watching if you're watching us and you want to ask the AI <laughs> chatbot oh, what are the exciting upcoming movies? Whatever like chat GPT says are the exciting upcoming movies are going to be very different from what you and I do in the type of show we run. So uh, I, I think, you know, without knowing the specificity of it, it, it doesn't seem that useful to me. But what what interests you about it? Or is it just the, the development of the technology itself? The development of the technology, how this could just be like a setup for what they really want to do in the future, I think is, mm-hmm. is a big part of it. If AI... Uh, if it's already causing some sort of interactions, if that's going to be another staple for what affects your videos, you know, be it uh, your, your CTR, the amount of likes, the amount of comments, the amount of interactions with your AI bot. One of the most annoying things is you can't, I can't go on Snapchat without that AI thing being at the top of. Yeah. What, am I wrong? Yeah. And then it's, I'm, it's... I'm trying to message Alina and I get a, a AI instead. Right. And I'm like having this whole conversation with the AI, bro. Yeah, it's <laughs> so intrusive, some... right? Like it just doesn't yeah. feel like a natural uh, it, it feels like they're forcing it on you, which is it's ridiculous. part of what's uncomfortable about it. Those mm-hmm. AI need to stop sending me uh, AI pics. But other than that, Zach, uh, that is it for all of the news that we've had, all of the movies. Yeah. Let's give a big shout out to the intercuities, the physical, human, blood, flesh intercuties yes. that we have here on the channel. Yes, the uh, wonderful, living, breathing intercuties. They are not part of the algorithm. They are the amazing people who support this podcast, and they do so uh, by becoming members over at patreon.com slash intercutpod, where you can sign up for lots of patron benefits, including early access to intercut episodes, a look at some of our outlines, access to the private channels in the intercut discord, where we interact sometimes throughout the week, and an invitation to our monthly patron Google meetings. Uh, Those wonderful people in the patron academy are Tushar, Cademan, Connor, Josh, May, Ricky, Joe, Tyler, and Benji. And the producer level patrons are Udenveer and Toon. A huge thanks to all of you and a reminder that you too can support our show by heading over to patreon.com slash intercutpod where you can do one of two things. You can either sign up uh, to become a patron and support us for as little as $1 a month to get access to all of our uh, posts, or you can just follow the the uh, podcast there where we post updates throughout the week, uh, sometimes give you a little bit of preview of what we're covering. Uh, there's a new blog post that I have up on the Patreon right now that gets into, uh, that mentions uh, all the movies that we are talking about on today's show, as well as the after credits review that we're recording. So if you want to find out what after credits is coming on the channel later this week, you got to head over to Intercut on Patreon and follow the podcast. Beautiful. Uh, now it's time to get into the picks of the week. With everything Let's that's coming it. out in theaters, we are in the depths of getting about a dozen movies coming out all over the place. Uh, sticking busy. to all the stuff that's coming out in theaters, we have the newest one, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the newest movie dealing with The Hunger Games before it became The Hunger Games, I guess? I think yeah. it's supposed to be 10 years into it, uh, but it is the prequel after the four movies that we got with Katniss, Everdeen, and the clan. And I can't say I'm that excited for it, but I'm intrigued. <laughs> it's long, man. It looks long. It, 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 I feel like it is long. it's coming out in a week where so much other stuff is coming out. And it doesn't seem to have that importance. And when other movies don't move out of the way, like 
tro a bunch of the other ones I'm going to run through here makes me feel like no one's scared of it. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that is. Um, you're catching it probably tomorrow. Are you excited? I mean, I'm interested at least. It's got some actors that I I like, but I don't know. I was never like a huge Hunger Games person. I don't feel a need to return to the world. I don't feel like a, there's a whole lot of story I need to explore. Um, yeah. Our buddy Mirjani told me it was pretty good, so I've got my expectations up a little. All right. We'll see how uh, the Hunger Games and the story of Snow came to be. Uh, I already got my tickets. I hope you do. For Trolls Band Together, Zach. This is the third in the Troll Cinematic Universe, and it's bringing the band the band back together in sync. Are you Are you really seeing this? Are you going go to go to theaters to see this? Uh, we we got a show to run here. Uh, someone's got to watch it. <laughs> There's so many other movies. Are we going to talk? <laughs> are we really spending any amount of time on Trolls Band Together next week? One hundred percent. You're not going to go see Trolls Band Together? If you make me. Yeah. And we're going to watch the Hot Ones interview live. <laughs> this had uh, a bunch of early screenings. I missed the early screenings. I, it really tore my heart, but I will be catching it uh, before I, I catch Hunger Games. That's going to be my double feature for this uh, this Thursday. Because, um, Zach, you want to talk about Trolls more than you want to talk about this movie again. Be honest. <laughs> that, Next that's true. I don't, I don't need to get a whole... I get a whole lot deeper into Taika Waititi. Uh, I did not enjoy. I did not enjoy Next Goal Wins. Um, I think there are some I, like. I think there are some like fine sort of sports underdog stories to it, but the comedy all falls really, really flat to me. It, it just mm -hmm. feels like Taika Waititi like not reaching that hard to to come up with new jokes. It feels His very. Interviews? Yeah, it kind of just feels bad. like him showing up. He he's like really shoehorning himself into this movie for no reason. It's bad. Um, yeah, man, and it just it's just lazy. It's just a pretty lazy sports underdog story. Um, and it's gonna do. It's well, a though. shame because it's an interesting story. It's going to do well. Yeah, Zach recommended the uh, documentary, and yeah. I think the documentary is a really good breakdown on the story. Uh, obviously, this is Taika's version of it, but I, I think the man does good in the box office when he does these feel-good type of movies. I know it's super dumbed down. That's exactly why I think mainstream audiences are going to eat it up. It's cute at points, but it's also just really derivative at other points that you and I, obviously, following Taika with TT, are, are getting very disappointed with. But for most people who don't care about that, Sadly, Zach, I, I do I do think people are going to like it. So it's up to you. Trolls or this troll? I'll I mean, next week. it's going to it's a tough weekend at the box office for me it in is. general, because as many movies are coming out, I'm not too excited about those last three that we talked about. And I'm definitely mm -hmm. not excited about the next one either. Um, also, I, I think a lot of these are going to be limited that, that we're getting into. Uh, this next one is going to be coming out. Uh, I think next go wins. They're saving for Thanksgiving, which is the other thing, dude. I think he's timing it. To get that box office, but yeah. do you have your tickets for Thanksgiving? Speaking of the other T movie that comes from Eli Roth, I don't. Um, I man, what's your favorite Eli Roth movie? Because I don't know if there's one that I hopefully like. Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> <laughs> knock knock is like bad good in my opinion. Yeah, sure. I can't say I fine. I have movies that he's acted in. I think that I like. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Look, uh, I have I have no faith in this movie, but uh, I, I because it's a Sony I happen movie. to I, I happen go, to be go, go, go. in a relationship with a horror sicko, so I'm probably going to go see it. But good, um, I I think she'll like it for the gore effects. It seems like yeah. there's some interesting holiday themed stuff. Um, this is only playing near me in uh, Spanish subtitles. <laughs> really? I don't, I don't know, bro. Does I have Eli no idea. have like a like a strong 
Latino fan base or something? I, I, I didn't get the memo, but it yeah. already sold out near us at a, one of the biggest theaters. Um, and then it, this is getting a full rollout for this week. Uh, it seems to have a very interesting cast. Patrick Dempsey is going to be in it. Um, I feel like they have this embargoed, although it's one of those that you can't say anything until like the actual release of the movie. Uh, yeah. But again, uh, like I said, can confirm. Yeah, it's a Sony movie. You got a press invite. I don't get press invite from Sony. So I'll be sneaking in tomorrow uh, with my GoFobo people. So Thanksgiving out in theaters. Another one that's going to be limited when Next Go wins. I think you guys may have it in some theaters. We won't be getting it until that Thanksgiving weekend. But it is Saltburn. Zach has not stopped raving about Saltburn. Tell people why they need to go see Saltburn. Uh, I don't know, man. I have uh, the talented Mr. Ripley at home. I don't know. Uh, It's... It, I, I don't know. I Jacob Elordi looks wanted good. to like it more than I did. Uh, there's definitely going to be some people who really rave about it. I, I just thought it made vulgarity boring, but we'll get more mm-hmm. into all that in our after credits for this one. Easily. Uh, a couple of good picks uh, before we get into our actual top 10. The Disappearance of Sheer Height, which we caught over at Sundance, yeah. the documentary that's coming out. It is an NBC pickup, so I think you'll be able to see it on Peacock eventually as well. Uh, Fallen Leaves, I'll let you mention this one. Yeah, I mean, it's uh early festival favorite uh, from Aki uh, Karsamaki. Uh, it's sort of like a quirky indie comedy kind of feel, but I don't know. I thought it was very slight. There's some jokes that I laughed at, uh, but I also, it, it, I felt like it wasn't a lot there. I, I don't mm-hmm. know if you ended up catching it either. Not yet. They never got yeah. back to me. Uh, Stand from the beginning did, and we were able to catch this over on Netflix. It's an okay documentary. It's uh, the, the definitely takes the Netflix approach of being very highly edited and breaking down mm-hmm. stuff and, uh, I don't think it's the best documentary on the subject, but it is a documentary on the subject by uh, Roger Ross Williams, who did uh, the Sundance selection earlier this year, Cassandra, which is on Prime. Ah, so nice. uh, I recommend that over that. But the um, one. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, you don't think it's necessarily like a uh, potential Oscar nominee in documentary? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> have you caught it yet? No, I have not. When you do, let me know. It's one of those. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I've, you yeah. know, you know me. I, I like watching a lot of docs. Yeah. Nah, not for this one. It's not a bad doc, but it's definitely a heavy-handed doc, and I, don't, I don't think the craft of it. It's more of a Netflix, Vox type of Flashy, kind of yeah. in your face than that. Yeah. Um, but the last uh, mention right here would be for Wish. This is going to be coming out during Thanksgiving weekend, but they do have some tickets early. I always like shouting out the early access stuff so that you can see it with some bonus materials and stuff on November 18th. We'll keep an eye out for that one. I think you and I both have our screenings for this this week, probably on Wednesday. That's when I have mine. Uh, yeah. Wednesday. So, uh, keep an eye so out check for our that Twitters because, or whatever. Uh, this or is letterbox. pretty much all of the stuff that's coming out as it's rolling out. I know someone even had mentioned in the chat, I think it was Gustav about Napoleon. I haven't seen it yet, but, Damn, man, am I excited. I think that's another Sony movie, so I'm going to have to buy my ticket for that one. But I am I am going all out for this. They say it's an IMAX. Um, bro, I'm excited that for Napoleon. One, that it one, I good. believe nobody has really seen other than, like, industry insiders. But they are doing Ridley. their first big round of screenings for critics and Academy uh, members tomorrow. That's right. Tomorrow. Yeah. So I wouldn't. I, I would not be surprised to see a whole wave of reactions to Napoleon tomorrow night. Be on the lookout for that. 
Zach and I are going to uh, go and pretend to be Ampa's producers, so uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll let you know <laughs> how that works out. But let's get into our actual top 10 of this week. I'm starting yeah. off with Monarch Legacy of Monsters. I was able to catch a couple of episodes of the new series that's going to be on Apple TV+. Plus. That's following up, literally, the Godzilla from 2014. That's like a mm-hmm. big event that happened in these characters' lives. You see characters from that uh, King Kong Island of Skull Monsters? I forget what that one is called. Yeah. The Kong movie. And then you had those other two Millie Bobby Brown Godzilla movies. This is good, bro. I, I am messing with it. It is like the perfect form of a miniseries. I'm a big Godzilla fan. I am loving everything that they're doing in this series. It's told in two different timelines of what happened and what they discovered in that island to the more present time that is a world that has like all these signs telling you where to go in case there's a Godzilla event yeah. that happens again. Dude, I am so invested in it. It looks beautiful. It does not shy away from the monsters. Like, I, there are some moments I was like, I wish this was up on the big screen. But it's told in a way that you need it as a miniseries. Uh, I'm really digging the show. It begins this Friday. Yeah, it does another really interesting thing with those timelines, too, in that Wyatt Russell is Talk playing one character in the earlier timeline, and then Kurt Russell is playing the same character in the later timeline. So they're taking it, advantage it of that uh, father-son acting duo and uh, giving you a very similar uh, person for both timelines. I think it's really interesting, you know, like I think with a lot of the Godzilla movies, ultimately, like the the movies try to have some kind of focus on the people, but you really end up wanting to just focus on the monsters. But the way that the show works is it actually gives enough room for the people to not feel like, you know, excuses for a plot and they actually have enough time to get into a plot and get into a world that, as you mentioned, is like adapted for a reality where they occasionally have Godzilla disasters. Um, So it's weird. Like rather than feeling like a needlessly extended version of a Godzilla movie, it feels like a Godzilla property that's actually able to get into some of the interesting nuances that the movies often just sort of skirt over. Yeah, because it's dealing with a lot of monsters. I like how you put it. It's yeah. These characters aren't stopping the plot. It's the aftermath of the plot that affects them. It's these yeah. events that have happened. It's all this fallout. Don't miss this one. I think it's really good. Uh, the next one was actually recommended a while ago from the Inner Cuties, which is why when I saw it was finally on Paramount, I'm like, yo, <laughs> I was going to have to get this offline. Colin from Accounts, did you catch yeah. an episode of this at all? Not yet. Uh, what do you think about it? Dude, they were right. You got, hey, they got. we got to listen to the inner cuties. They knew what they were talking about. This is, it's kind of like platonic because you have an Aussie in that show. This is mm-hmm. a full Aussie production where these nice. two meet because he's driving. She flashes him and he runs over a dog and that's it. Now, now they're like a, a trio. The dog's in nice. like a little wheelchair. He's got to pretend on, on why they really know each other when they don't really know each other. It is a goofy show. And I, I got to be honest, I think Aussies have some of the most underrated sense of humor out there. Mm-hmm. Taika's been taking the forefront with it, but, but there's a lot of humor that comes from them from down under that I think uh, needs a spotlight. You know what sucks, though? We're only getting it in episodes on Paramount. It's all out. Like, just give us the whole thing. Yeah. It, I mean, we were is. getting they're, recommended they're for... We were getting recommended for it at the end of last year because they already had it for a while. So I, I don't know why it's taken so long to work its way to the United States, but I guess uh, at least good? it's available now on Paramount. It's that good. I think you watch the first episode for free on Prime if you do have it there. Oh, then they're going to charge you cool. for the rest. But just so you know, you can catch one in there. Uh, but it's on Paramount Plus where they're actually showing it. So uh, Colin from Accountants, shout out the inner cuties because I, I saw it was an older show. And the only reason it stayed on my radar was because I, I remember someone shouting it out. 
the other one on Apple TV would be For All Mankind Season 4. I had binged to the last two. I had started three. Uh, so this is a show that I have on my radar to catch up on because I thought the first two were pretty good. This was another one that the inner cuties were saying, hey, don't sleep on this show. It's, it's a really good take on what happens if uh, we weren't the first to land on the moon, the U.S., mm-hmm. but it was uh, Soviet Russia. And just a take on it, the, the Apple really shoots their shows beautifully. Uh, again, with Monarch as well, they, they do a really great job of making the effects feel uh, very fleshed out. And they don't skimp away from the characters. And I think that's one of the big drawing points for this series as it starts at season four. Uh, And then my next one that I have here is one that was uh, in the upcoming. I had said this was going to come out, I think, a couple of months ago. And then they delayed it. It's finally coming out. This is another one that must be that good. They needed to wait on it. A Murder at the End of the World, a miniseries over on FX that's brought to you by one of my personal favorite uh, creators out there, Britt Marling, an actress, also showrunner for this. Um, a lot of people love the OA. I, th- I think she may have another one up her sleeve here. I am very excited for the show. I don't even want to see a trailer for it. I saw one log line. I've seen some images. The moment I heard it was delayed because they were waiting to like fully release it, I'm like, okay. FX has something good on their hands. Uh, I'm banking all in on this one right here. Um, And then my last pick, I'm going to combine for the movie version that Zach's going to have on his top five. So carry it away. Uh, All right. So uh, let me start it off with a a film that is hitting limited theaters this weekend. And if it's not near you, it will be December 1st because May, December is a Netflix hit. Uh, they got a real one on their yes, hands. Sir. This one, a pretty yes, incredible sir. film uh, from uh, from Todd Haynes with Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore and a revelatory performance from Charles Melton, of all people. Like, give that man an Oscar nomination for his part in this film. It's a really interesting kind of sticky moral quandary because it's about a couple that uh, met when it was a an, an illegal inappropriate age gap relationship and 20 years later they're still together having gone through the the tabloid headlines and they're uh being sort of investigated in a way by natalie portman who's an actress playing uh this role in a movie it's just this fascinating sort of look at these gray areas in this relationship where there's all this love there but there's all this clear abuse and manipulation there and what is right and what is just and who has the permission to kind of tell you what you should do i there there's just so mar- much to pull apart in this movie it's not moralizing or telling you like these are the good people and these are the bad people it's simply presenting a a interesting situation and letting you marinate in the the awkwardness and the uh the weirdness and the hilariousness of it uh the performances are really incredible in this one who who takes uh the cake for you is it julianne moore is it natalie portman because we we know it's it's actually charles melton but of the women in this movie i thought it was i thought it was nat i come home we're discussing something about uh, Julianne Moore with the way that she speaks. I'm like, no, it's Julianne Moore's. Then I see a clip and, and I see a bit of Nat and I'm like, no, it's Nat. This movie, as you can see from my score, needs to be talked about immediately. Please yeah. watch this movie if you can. This is incredible. And the fact that it is a comedy drama, <laughs> this is the epitome of a comedy drama. This, yeah, not a dramedy, no, a comedy a drama. drama. Thank you. Thank you. A comedy drama, dude, Zach. You couldn't have hyped this up even more. I was surprised how much this this won't leave my head. Uh, I may want to see it again in theaters. 
and I can't wait for it to come out uh, on Netflix. This is going to be a, a, a fantastic one to break down. It is so awkward. And I, I truly cannot decide who's the better actor in the movie. Julianne yeah. Moore and Todd Haynes have a history together. So ah, it's just, ah, she's so good. They're all really it's good not, in this, bro. It didn't really occur to me until just now, but because we're also talking about it, it kind of feels like it's got some things in common with the curse in the way that it sort of looks at like the awkwardness of of humans and how they present mm-hmm. each other and how they kind of want to be seen yeah. despite like their actions. And I don't know. The movie it, it mines similar on, territory. The movie she's working on is kind of like an A24 take on her story also. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so no, funny. It's, it's so good. There's a lot good. to discuss here. I yeah, cannot recommend it enough. Just, you know, be wary of the subject matter if need be because this is not coasting. This is not warning you. This is getting deep in there and it gets uncomfortable at times. But it's great. It's worth it. Uh, honestly, it might be my new favorite Todd Haynes movie. And I, there's probably a couple Bro, that I still need to see. But like. It had no business being that good. He mastered great. that tone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another movie that's popping up on Netflix this weekend. It's not as good as May, December, but it's got a performance in it that is just about as <laughs> oh. good as any performance in May, December. Uh, Rustin, the, Ooh, the story okay. of the iconic civil rights figure. Uh, here portrayed by Coleman Domingo, I think one of the best uh, character actors in recent years. You know, he's been popping Without up in more and more places because he's just so winning and charismatic and such an incredible, incredible actor. You know, gets to take center stage, be the lead in a film, and carry the weight of the, this like iconic uh, figure for not just the not just uh, black civil rights, but being a, a gay uh, figure as well. Uh, I just think it, it's the movie is lacking in some aspects. It feels a little bit like unfinished in, in the way certain scenes are stitched together, but I did find it interesting because it's sort of more of a, a um, operational look at how certain things get done. It's a lot of it is the planning of the civil rights March uh, in 1963, the, ni- the March on Washington, where Martin Luther King delivered his iconic I Have a Dream speech. You know, it's, oh. it's a movie that is concerned with like, well, how many security guards are we going to need <laughs> for, for his speech, you know? That's cool. Uh, but yeah, that's a good thing. Exactly. It's a different perspective on something that is very widely known. I, I wish the movie was a bit stronger, but yeah. Coleman's the logistics Coleman of the dream. Dream's performance is uh, is strong enough to merit recommendation. That, that's good. Uh, I, I've been missing this at the uh, festival screening, so I'm excited for it because it's also from uh, the director of uh, Ma Rainey, which I know they also collaborated yeah. with. So. Yeah, Jersey Wolf. Uh, Going to give a recommendation to Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, also hey. on Netflix, November 17th. Obviously, they got the iconic voice cast all or cast back together to do the voices of this one, which definitely has me very excited. Uh, nice. Some of the early clips didn't look great, to be honest. No? Oh, man. But, hey, it's Scott Pilgrim. I, I It's one of the comics that I actually read and enjoyed. It's a movie yeah. that I love. So I'm I'm gonna listen to a lot of actors I love recreate it, and that's exactly the one that I'm doing the double pick for. While you're recommending the TV series, I gotta go back and recommend Scott Pilgrim the movie. I think it's gonna be a good double take on it because um, Invincible I think is doing that take as well, where they have the series right now that's obviously a hit, but they're still working on the live action movie. So if I'm not mistaken, it's not a is the Netflix a follow up, or is it like uh, a retelling? No, it's a retelling. That's that. I think that's really cool. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. You heard how um, uh, what's his name is redoing Australia 
Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, he's, got that he's turning version. it into a miniseries. Yeah, and it's like it's it's not a continuation. It's not really. A, it's, it's like a retelling of it. In it's he's Snyder form. cutting it. That uh, yeah, kind of a little more, but like yeah, I, I like this stuff, so uh, yeah. I'm excited for it. So we'll double it up. Zach's got the series uh, that I believe is dropping all at once, and then I'm gonna yeah. see the movie, bro. I I own, I don't know why I own three copies of the movie, but I do. <laughs> it's a good movie to own three copies of. I was really excited to see this in your in your uh, top ten. This next one because um, I hope it's good. Please tell me it's yeah. good. Uh, well, I mean, there's an embargo on it until the day before, which is usually not a bad, not a great sign. But I think comedy is uh-huh. a hard genre for uh, okay. for critics to get. So please don't destroy the treasure of Foggy Mountain. It's the feature film debut of Ben Marshall, Martin Herndley, and John Higgins, the trio that make up "Please Don't Destroy" of the uh, sem- somewhat viral SNL clips. You know, SNL uh, sort of brought them in as what it feels like you know a, a new generation's Lonely Island. They got popular Jeez. off of their online uh, comedy sketches, and they've managed to maintain their tone. Uh, well into SNL. They have a very specific, like, hard-cut style where it's, like, joke on top of joke yeah. on top of joke. And it, it sometimes builds in a very hilarious way. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see what the feature film uh, adaptation of that style is going to be. They have a lot of funny people in this film as well. Megan Stalter, mm-hmm. Bowen Yang, Conan O'Brien as is in it as well. <laughs> as Ben's the, dad. The, the Pano Cholat or whatever he says. He's like, how do you know they were French? <laughs> that, that one gets me in the trailer. If they can keep it yeah. as consistent as that. Uh. They're, they're very silly, and I'm sure it's going to be too stupid for some people. But I think I'm going to enjoy it. So uh, a recommendation for the Peacock subscribers out there. Please don't destroy right. the treasure of Foggy Mountain out on Friday. You and saw then, yesterday, um, I, the one that they had with Timmy? Because Timmy did SNL, yeah, so they had a sketch with him? Yeah, I did. And uh, see, some people have not responded positively to some of it. <laughs> <laughs> that had fast cutting. Yeah, it did. But of course, it did. Another one we'd give two thumbs up for, the final pick of the week. Yeah, let's talk about The Curse a little bit more. The new show from uh, Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie starring Emma Stone. Although we didn't talk about this. Uh, One thing that's kind of cool that I really respect about Emma Stone, who loves to seemingly loves to work with these really talented uh, comedy directors, is that she kind of takes a backseat for a lot of this show. It really does feel like Nathan in a lot of it is the star uh, because he is carrying a lot of the awkwardness and the mm-hmm. the hilarious tension, but it's a just a fascinating show um, uh, that kind of talks about like the limits of these people's goodwill and how they choose to be seen and how they want to be seen. A lot of the pet um, pet themes for a guy like Nathan Fielder explored in a really uncomfortable, fascinating way. Uh, I've mm-hmm. seen six and I highly recommend it. Art's only seen the one and he thought it was phenomenal. We'll uh, continue talking about the curse as it gets deeper into its season. But uh, yeah, that, that's my last pick of the week because it's probably the best thing I've seen <laughs> recently. Yeah. So good. It gave you the hiccups. Uh, yeah. Emma's geez. good in it though. That scene that you're talking She's about with, uh, with what's his name? She's it's she's not saying anything. He's taking it over for that news scene where he's like interrogating yes. her. But it's her not breaking. Oh yeah. It's that subtlety of it that I think just showcases how good of an actress she is. Plus, she's funny. Like in poor things, she is funny. I think she's been one of the best comedic actresses that we've had since you know the classic Superbad, and it has not gone away. 
Is their sex scene here funnier than any sex scene in Poor Things? From episode one, bro? I don't even <laughs> want to spoil what that was. It's so there good. There was people outside in the patio. Do you know how I was supposed to explain him asking permission? <laughs> It was oh pretty funny. It's, it's funny. amazing. It's definitely funny. It's, it's um, definitely funnier. Yeah. Uh, two thumbs up on the curse, but running it back uh, over on Apple TV Plus, y'all need to watch Monarch Legacy of Monsters. I think it is hitting on all Godzilla. cylinders. If you liked the other movies, I think you're going to like this. If you didn't like the other movies, I think this may be a better take for the, criti- for the critiques that you may have had for uh, some of the human yeah. characters. Uh, Colin from Accountants, shout out the inner cuties for this one. It is uh, rolling out very slowly on Paramount Plus, but it is an Aussie comedy about two people who come together because they ran over a dog uh for all mankind over on apple tv as well making it a twofer over there they are on their fourth season as they go into space competing with this alternate reality where the u.s wasn't the first to get on the moon probably my most anticipated though that we know very little about because they had to be moved is a murder at the end of the world the new one from uh what did i say her name was Britt marlin um yeah it's like Manglish. What you, uh, have they work together a lot? Yeah, yeah, they're uh, they've been partners since the movies, Zalbot Monglege and Britt Marling. So I'm excited to see what they're bringing here because yeah. it looks sick, it looks cool, and it's gonna be a miniseries over on FX. Zach Scott, the impeccable movie coming out May, on Netflix December, that is limited. December, the the camp drama masterpiece from Todd Haynes that I can't wait to rewatch. Might be a masterpiece, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of there. Uh, Rustin, the showcase for a really excellent performance from Coleman Domingo in this story about an iconic civil rights leader. The Scott Pilgrim Takes Off series, which brings back all the actors for a recreation of the show of the movie, but in animated in a, a recreation of the movie, but in an animated show. Mm-hmm. Shout out the movie as well. Uh, yeah, please don't destroy the f- treasure of Foggy Bottom. A chance for the uh, funny kids on SNL to go feature length, and the most uncomfortable comedy of the year, uh, Nathan Fielder's return in The Curse, available on Showtime. Beautiful. Uh, that's it for this week's show. Uh, we're curious to know your thoughts down below. Let us know about what your thoughts were for the movies of this week, the news of this week, the picks for this week, anything dealing with cinema down below. You can catch me over at LME Movies on all social media, Letterboxd, Twitter, all that good stuff, or over at Let Me Explain. Zach, where can people find more from you? Find me at Zshevich on whatever social media you use, or find more videos from me at Multiplex Show on Instagram, YouTube, or TikTok. Beautiful. A reminder that you can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. You can catch a live show here. A big shout out to all of the Intercuties who watch us every Monday for the weekend must watch. We're going to be clipping some of these moments here as well. All of the other shorter clips we have over on the Intercut Clips channel. So if you are ever wondering if we covered a movie or not, I know sometimes we get some people in the chat asking, did you see this? Are you looking forward to this? We're trying to cut them all up so that you have different ways to be able to catch all of the goodness that we do here on Intercut. A big shout out to all the Intercuties who listen live, all the patrons, all the iTunes listeners who give us that five-star review. Don't forget to leave us a comment, drop a like, follow the socials over on Intercut Pod, and until next time, keep watching movies. Feige might turn you into a miniseries. <laughs>